Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. I think everybody's schedule's a little messed up. Y'all's, your schedule's messed up. If your schedule's messed up, go ahead and say that's me in the comments. It's no different with kids not being in school, having messed up school schedules. For my wife and I, at least, we're fighting a battle of a boy that just doesn't want to stay in his room anymore. So we've been getting wake-up calls not early wake-up calls, but multiple wake-up calls every single night. One, two, four, five, randomly. Sometimes five or six in a night. Just, uh, Mommy, Daddy, came to tell you I love you. Well, I think that's sweet until it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You know what I'm saying? It, it c- turns from sweet to annoying really fast at 2 o'clock in the morning. A couple of nights ago, he was doing this. We were going through this charade, and he comes in. It's about 3 o'clock, comes in, says, Mommy, Daddy. I'm like, buddy, you've got to go back to bed. Well, he comes back an hour or so later, and this time I've had enough. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these standoff moments with your kids where you're determined to prove a point. And so literally for the next hour and a half, coffee in hand, because at this point I am mad, I am jacked up, and I've got my coffee in my hand. I stand outside this boy's door, and every time he opens the door to come out, I don't scare him on purpose, but it kind of scares him because I'm still standing there. And let's just say that I discipline him a little. He goes back into his room for a few minutes, comes back out a few minutes later. Finally, he looks at me, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He looks at me. He says, Daddy, I just wanted to be with my family. Now, first off, I think he's manipulating me. Second off, I think he's he's on to something because who we're around changes how we feel, doesn't it? Like, really, who you're sitting beside right now, don't raise your hand if you don't like them, changes how you, how you feel. It changes how you feel who you're around. And now we have this whole thing of social distancing, which I am terrible at, by the way, because I like to hug. And I'm terrible at it. And for some of us, we are hating this. This whole social distancing thing is driving us crazy because we want to talk to people. We want to be around people. We want to hug people. Now, some of you out there are enjoying it because you don't want to talk to anybody anyway. But for all of us, I think this whole thing has kind of got us a little, a little messed up because think about it. You, you're driving down the road and you see all these stores that are closed or all of these signs of these restaurants that have drive-through only on the front of the stores and there's no cars in the parking lot. And I think it's got us all a little, a little messed up, a little concerned, a little worried, a little fearful, a little anxious. We're social distancing But I think it's important in times like we're in currently for us to remind ourselves of who's never practiced social discipline. Here's what I mean. Psalm 34, 18 says this. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, there's almost this thing with God 
where those people that are hurting, those people that are broken, it's almost like he actually, he actually draws closer to them at that point. There's, there's almost this thing where God kind of flips our tendencies, where our tendency sometimes when people are hurt is to kind of push away because we don't, know what, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to comfort them. We don't know how to make them feel better. And so we just kind of back away like, I'm not going to make it any worse. But there's almost like God kind of flips that. And in these moments where we're social distancing, he is not about social distancing. And so I know that there are some of you out there watching this this morning and you are lonely and you are hurting and you are broken and you are tired and you've gotten some really bad news. I want you to know this morning that God is near the brokenhearted. You are right in his wheelhouse to receive his love. You are right in his wheelhouse to feel his closeness because relationship is made better in moments of trouble and he is right there and he is drawing close to you. He is not social distancing himself. Some of you, you tuned in, and I really believe God just wanted you to hear that because he is near the broken hearted. And this morning, for just a few moments, I want to talk about what happens when we're near God. What happens when we're near Jesus? And I'm going to talk about the cross of Jesus a lot. Um, but what I'm talking about when I talk about the cross of Jesus is I'm really talking about Jesus himself because the cross is kind of one of those pivotal moments in Jesus' life. And so as I talk about the cross, I'm really talking about what does it mean to be near Jesus. There's a lot of history around crosses. In case you didn't know, Jesus was not the only one crucified. He wasn't the only one that was ever hung on a cross. And so I did some in-depth research on crosses, which means I Googled it. But I did some in-depth research on crosses, and from the best credible sources I could find, including Wikipedia, here's what I came up with. I'm just kidding. These are legitimate things, okay? Let me... Crucifixion most likely began with the Assyrians and Babylonians and was practiced systematically by the Persians until 6th century B.C. Crucifixion's methods varied considerably depending on time period and location, where it was happening. In Jerusalem, women would offer the condemned, the person on the cross, a pain-relieving drink, usually of wine and myrrh or incense, and then the victim would be tied or nailed to the crossbeam. So that's the part that goes straight across. Would be tied or nailed to the crossbeam. And after that, the crossbeam was lifted up and fixed to the upright post of the cross. And the feet would be tied or nailed to the upright post. While the victim awaited death hanging on the cross, soldiers would commonly divide up their clothes, which we see in the story of Jesus, right? When the person died, family members would come and bury the body once they received permission from the judge. But if they didn't, oftentimes what would happen is animals would come and devour the carcass or birds of prey would come and, and eat the body. Crucifixion was, often, um, was most often performed to dissuade its witnesses from committing similar crimes. Obviously, you see somebody hanging on a cross and you walk down the square and you see them, it's gonna, you're going to be like, what did they do? Because I ain't doing it. Death usually happened within anywhere from six hours to four days. And it was most often due to suffocation caused by an impairment of respiratory movement. Cardiac arrest would also often take place. The attending Roman guards that were around the cross could only leave the site after the victim had died. So these Roman guards, to kind of speed up the process, I guess to clock out early, would often beat the victim on the cross and jab a spear in their side to kind of rush it along. 
Sometimes they would even light a fire under the cross so that the smoke would come up and it would suffocate the victim faster. You see, I tell you all of that because, first off, I think it's really, really interesting as we approach Easter to hear that. But I also tell you that because I want you to know that Jesus wasn't the only one ever crucified. But he is the only one whose cross and crucifixion literally changed everything in a moment. Changed the history, the course of the world. So for the next few moments, I want to speak from the subject of near the cross. Near the cross. Just to kind of set up the passage of Scripture we're going to be in, Jesus, uh, where we pick it up, he's been sentenced to die. It's an unjust death. He didn't commit any crime, but the only thing he did was ruffle the feathers of the religious of the day. But he's been sentenced to die. They've kind of gotten this scheme together to have him convicted. The soldiers that would put Jesus on the cross, they took his clothes and divided, a, divided his clothes among the four of the soldiers. His undergarment, which would have been one piece, was remaining. And so they decided not to, not to tear that into four pieces, but decided to cast lots, kind of a roll dice situation, to see who would get it. And then in John 19, 25, this is what we read. Near the cross. Now, maybe you should say back near the cross, type near the cross. Near the cross, because that's important, that's pivotal in this story. Near the cross of Jesus stood a few different people. His mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, who was also seen at the resurrection, and Mary Magdalene. So what happens near the cross? Near the cross, you are accepted. Near the cross, you are accepted. You see, Jesus, at this moment in time, is rejected. He is rejected by the very people he came to save. He is rejected so that I, so that you, so that y'all, so that we could be accepted. I want you to just to put yourself, just for a moment, see if I can maybe close your eyes and see if I can put you at this scene just for a moment when you're near the cross. Jesus, is, of course, is hanging as we just talked about. He's nailed to the cross beam. He's hanging on this cross, gasping for air. Every breath is excruciating at this point. He's bloody. He's beaten. They're trying to speed along his death. They've beaten him before they ever put him on the cross. These women who are near the cross, who are standing at the foot of the cross, all had a relationship with Jesus. They had watched him grow up. They had hung out with him. They had seen him do some miracles. They had seen him turn water into wine. His mom was there. They had seen him heal people. They had heard people talk about him as he was growing in popularity, positively and negatively. And then at the young age of 33, they see him, they look up, and they see him on this cross. And they know that he's done nothing wrong. Can you imagine your son your friend, because that's who these ladies are, the one who talked to you and spoke to you when no one else would, being put on a cross and sentenced to die. Because these women at the cross aren't just any women. They're placed there for the story, and they're there because they care about Jesus and because they had a relationship with Jesus. Can you imagine? And here's an important note. All of those ladies that I just read you are ladies. These ladies are people that society would have placed and put down. 
they wouldn't have been allowed even in some places, in some contexts. These ladies are people that have often been rejected, but yet here near the cross, we find them accepted. And, and, and here's something else. Like, if, if you're a skeptic, skeptic, easy for me to say, out there to, this morning, the fact that these ladies are at the cross actually validates the story some. Because if you and I, if we were writing this story, and John writes this anywhere around 90 AD, but if we're writing this story, we're going to place, I'm going to place some people that have a lot of followers on Instagram so that they can get a picture of this. I'm going to place some people that have a lot of Twitter followers. I'm going to place some famous people. They're going to be the people near my cross. But no, when John writes this, the people that are near the cross of Jesus are ladies, people who have been rejected and put down. And I think that validates the story, doesn't it? Because you, you, you see the legitimacy of the story. These ladies were rejected, and here they are near the foot of the cross. It's Jesus' biggest hour. And if we're honest, these ladies that are at the cross are a lot like us. Some of you watching this today, you're the people that society has left out. And let's be honest, this time in history, being stuck in your house has reminded you of just how left out you feel. These ladies were people that were broken, people that were hurting, people who had put their faith in this man. They were people who were lonely, people who were rejected, people who were confused, and they were scared. Because this was supposed to be the one, right? Something's up with him. If we're honest, we are a lot like these ladies. You may be a man, but you are a lot like these ladies at the cross because you are in a tough spot and you feel rejected. And here's the, another thing. One of these ladies that's near this cross is a, is a lady named Mary Magdalene. We don't know a ton about her. Like I said, we see, we see her at the resurrection as well. We don't, we don't know a ton about her. But one of the things we do see is in, in Luke 8, Mary is following Jesus. And the Bible says that Mary had seven demons cast out of her. Talk about jacked up. And you thought you were messed up? And here's my point. Here's the only reason I bring that up is because I don't care how messed up you are near the cross with Jesus, you are accepted. You're accepted. No matter how messed up you feel, no matter what you did last night, no matter the thoughts that have gone through your head, no matter how many relationships you've messed up, no matter what you looked at this morning before you even watched this, you are accepted. And here's one of the things that I'm learning. I'm a young guy, so I guess I'm still learning this. That everyone else can reject me, but if there's one person if Jesus accepts me the way I am, I'm good. I'm okay with that. John continues in verse 26. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. The disciple whom he loved, who's writing that? John, who do you think the disciple whom he loved is? John. That's like saying, I'm mommy's favorite, right? I, I'm Jesus' favorite. I'm the favorite. He goes on. It says, he said to her, woman, which that sounds derogatory, but the culture of the time it wouldn't have been, here's your son. To the disciple, he said, here's your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. 
Near the cross, you are provided for. Near the cross, you are provided for. There is not a single need that you have that Jesus can't meet. And by that, I don't mean just physical needs. Like those, those are important. And for some of you, those have become really, really important and really, really critical right now. But those aren't the only kind of needs I'm talking about. I'm talking about the needs that we have that we don't talk about. The need to be needed. No matter how much you don't care what people think, you have a need to be needed. I'm talking about the need for security. The need to know that it'll be okay. The need for significance the need for stability, those are things that you can only truly ever have provided for you by Jesus. Otherwise, if you look for them in other places, it's going to fall through and it's going to wear off. With Jesus near the cross, that is provided for you. And, and, And here's why I bring that up at this point in the story is because Jesus looks at his mother and he looks at John and he says, behold your mother. What Jesus is doing is here, here is he's ensuring that she is provided for. She's likely a, a widow. She's poor. And so Jesus, on the cross, he looks at one of these ladies that's standing near the cross, and he says, you are provided for. And here's the thing. He doesn't just give her provision, but he gives her a provider. Some of you right now that are watching this, you need provision, but more than anything, you need to know your provider. So he looks at Mary, and he says, you have what you need, but you also have someone to take care of you. You see, when we know our provider, it changes the view of our needs, doesn't it? When I was a little boy, my dad cut grass for a living. Once I got old enough, he would let me go with him sometime. And one of the things we would do is, between jobs on occasion as we would go into a, a gas station or, as my dad says, a gas station. That's probably the right way to say it, right? A gas station. And he would, we would walk in. He'd be like, okay, Jonathan, we'll, we'll get what you want. And so I'd kind of walk around like a, like a kid in a candy store, real, literally, right? You got chips, you got candy, you got whatever you want. So I would, I would go around, I would, I would get whatever I would want, and I would bring it up, and I would wait for him to go to the counter, and I would follow him, and I would just put my stuff on, on the counter. And then I would stand there like a big boy, right? Like, I got my stuff. Do you know why I was able to do that? It wasn't because I had anything. It was because I was with my provider, wasn't it? And when you are with your provider and you know who your provider is, it changes the way you view your needs and it changes the way you view the things around you. Near the cross, you are provided for. So my question to you is, what do you need most? For some of us, it it is a physical need. It's food. It's money. It's a car. It's a spouse. It's a child. So for some of us, it's a healing need, but ultimately what we all need is we need security and purpose. And near the cross, Jesus takes one of his final breaths to say, near the cross, you're provided for. And I think sometimes, to be honest, I think sometimes we miss the provision of God because he does it in new ways. And so we expect he's always provided for us in this way. He's always provided for us by giving us a man, by giving us a woman. He's always provided us for us in this way, but 
And so when we move into the next season of life, sometimes we lose his provision. Because what if now you don't have someone to date, but what if he's doing something in you and you've been begging him for a new man or new woman to date, but yet he's doing something in you so that you don't feel lonely anymore? So I think sometimes we miss God's provision in new seasons because we're expecting him to do it in the same way that he did in the old, old season. There's a story in the book of Exodus about the Israelites, God's people. And they get freed from slavery in Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they get hungry. And God says, okay, well, I'm going to give you something to eat. Now, they didn't have a feast, but the Bible says every morning they would come out and there would be like this white stuff on the ground because God provided it for it. Had they expected him and only been willing to see his provision if he did it the same way he used to in Egypt, then they would have missed it. Sometimes God's providing for you and maybe you can't see it. And maybe the reason why you can't see it isn't because he's not providing it, because he's providing it for it in a different way. Maybe right now he is blessing you. And it may not be with the things that you've always liked. It may not be with a job. <laughs> it may not be with some of the same, same things. But if you look around you, there's some blessings that you have that you haven't seen before. At the cross, there's provision. The story continues in verse 28. It says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And then verse 30 says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Near the cross, you're free. Near the cross, you're free. You're free from the death penalty that we all deserve because of our lack of communion and lack of ability to have a relationship with God because of the bad stuff we do that separates us. We're free. We're free from the penalty that should come. You see, when Jesus was nailed to this cross this day, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the Father charged everything that we would ever do, the sin that would mess us up and take us away from God. He charged all of that and put it on Jesus' account. And if we have a relationship with him, if we rel relinquish our, our life and we say, Jesus, I need you in my life, the Bible says that all of a sudden he takes the charge for all of that and we get out scotch-free. It's gone you're free. You never have to pay for it. Never again. And, 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 the, and the word here is tetelestai. That word for finish is tetelestai. And one of the most beautiful pictures, is, as I was studying for this, that I read for this, is a, is a merchant telling someone that what they needed was paid in full. You take it. It's paid in full. You are free from the penalty Jesus conquered the power of Satan. Jesus conquered the power of darkness. Jesus conquered the power of death. And he did it on a cross. And if you're near the cross, you're, you're free. He says you're free. You're free from guilt. I think there's a lot of us this morning, if we were, if we were honest, I think one of the things we're dealing with right now is a lot of guilt. I've heard countless stories of people who are dealing with guilt for, for things that they didn't even do. But guilt, that's kind of how it comes. Sometimes, 
It's okay to, to feel guilty for a moment. I think that's the way we, 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 God shows us how we need to walk, but it's not okay to live in guilt. And sometimes we can, feel, we can feel guilt and a sense of guilt for either things that we've done or things that we perceive other people think we've done. And so I'm hearing stories of, of ladies who work in the medical field, and one of the things they feel guilty about is having to come home because they're like, I don't know what I'm carrying. And so they're carrying this, 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 this guilt, like I'm guilty because I have, this, I, have this, I have this job. Jesus wants to free you from guilt, from the guilt of past sin, from the guilt of of your mistakes from that guilt that you've been carrying for so long, for the, for the guilt of the pain that you caused, for the guilt that you can't be with that aging parent right now because they have to be in, in their home by themselves. Jesus came so that you could live in freedom. And the only way to get past guilt and to get past sin is to realize that the conclusion has happened, that it's finished. Jesus has the ability to finish everything. The things that you did, the things that, you're feel, that you feel guilt about, that you think you did, Jesus has the power to finish it, to say it's done, to say I have corrected your wrongs. I have redeemed your past. I have redeemed your mistakes. I have redeemed it. It is finished. You are free. What Jesus did when he said it's finished is he said, I can redeem anything. If you trust me, I can redeem you. I can redeem your mistakes. I can redeem your past. When it's finished, there's no turning back. Some of you, you keep turning back. You keep turning back to, to that mistake that you've made. And sometimes it's because someone's holding it over your head, but you keep turning it turn it back to it. You've got to look back at the cross. You've got to turn your back on the past. Turn your back on looking back because it's finished, it's in the past. If I finish my plate of chicken wings, it's finished, I can't go back. I can only get so much off the bone, right? It's finished, it's finished. And that is what Jesus offers at the cross. Near the cross, you're free because he's paid the penalty of sin. So if you're watching this right now, and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you have a whole lot of guilt. I want you to know that Jesus literally put this in your feed so that he could speak to you and he could say, I've got everything you need. I want you to be free, you just gotta give it up. If that's you, you can say this out loud. If it doesn't scare the dogs, whatever. But just say, Jesus, I wanna be free. I keep repeating the same mistakes over and over. I keep thinking I can get better, I can do more, I can provide for myself, I can move past this, but for some reason, I do believe that you were put on that cross and I believe you died and I don't believe you stayed dead. I believe you rose and I don't know how, it's all, how it all works out, but I just trust it for some reason. So Jesus, I give you my life. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, my challenge to you is to see yourself near the cross because Jesus does. See, when these ladies were standing near this cross, he saw you there too. He did it for you. He knew you would mess up. 
He knew you would need forgiveness. He knew you would carry guilt. He knew you would needed you needed purpose. He knew you needed to be needed. He knew you needed a better way. He knew you needed freedom. And what he promises near the cross is he promises all of it. And I know it's cheesy, but if you look at a cross, and I just saw this the other day and it was so sweet. I felt like God gave it to me and I want to tell you today, even though it it may be cheesy, maybe that's just the relationship God and I have. But if you look at the cross and you think about what a cross looks like, sure, it looks like a post in the ground with a cross beam. But do you know what it also looks like? It looks like arms stretched out. It looks like he is saying, come near the cross. There's room near the cross. This morning, there is room near the cross for you. Just give it up. He's finished it. Just relax in his arms. There's room near the cross. You are who you say you are, and you'll do what you say you'll do. You'll be who you've always been to us, Jesus. And our hope is in you alone. Our strength in your mighty name And our peace in the darkest day remains Jesus
person that is waiting to put your faith in Jesus. He's worth your trust. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. Higher than our own, this we know. We will see the enemy run. This we know. We will see the victory come. We hold on to every promise you ever made. Jesus, you are thank you for being one that keeps promises God today we we come near the cross see you for who you are God thank you for accepting us thank you for providing for us thank you for the freedom that you give (laughs) nothing can separate us from your love hard for me to comprehend that because we can be so conditional with our love here but your love is conditional it's complete Lord let whoever's watching this right now let them feel that love right now just where they are whisper in their ear tell them you love them tell them it's okay going to be okay. Thank you for showing up this morning wherever we are. Can we just sing, we trust you? Maybe if you're at home, just raise your hands in the air. Confess this. We trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. We trust you. We trust you. For your ways are higher than our own. Jesus, we trust you. Yeah, we trust you. Trust you for your 
and you could feel that moment that we felt in this room. He's worth your trust. I don't know if I said amen to end my prayer. So amen for those of you that need the finality of the prayer. Because we got to say that or it doesn't count, right? I'm just kidding. It still counts. Thank you so much for watching today. Um, if you made a decision to follow Christ, please let us know. We want to get you started on your track. Um, otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday, 9 and 11, Easter Sunday, an amazing service plan. We'll see you there.